Good morning. As we continue this morning to go through this series that we're doing, uh, going through the, the Gospel of Mark, we find ourselves in, cha- at the end of chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 40 to 45. Um, and before we, so yeah, if you have a Bible, you can open up there. Uh, before we get into reading God's Word and, and hearing, uh, hearing it preached, let's take a moment and let's pray, uh, because we are in need of God's Spirit to be working among us and with us this morning. Lord God, we are people who need your word. Uh, Your word has continued as it was in the very beginning to make things happen. As you spoke and life popped out of nothing as you have continued to speak life to your people. By your spirit uh, resurrecting dead bones in a a valley, you spoke life and raised them from the dead and made them an exceedingly great people, a people marked by your name. And we pray that you would do the same with us this morning. Father, we we need your spirit to show us the beauty of Jesus. We pray that he would make Jesus come alive to us here and that just simple words about Jesus would not be preached, but Jesus would be extended out to us all and that we would see his beauty, that we would listen with, with rapt hearts and we would grow in a deeper love of him and that he would become more beautiful, more glorious, more wonderful than he was before we began this time. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. Pay careful attention because this is the very word of God. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places." And people were coming to him from every quarter. Amen. <clears throat> well, we read about two very, pe- two very different people right away here. One of them is like walking death. A man not only physically wrecked, but whose condition bleeds into his mental well-being, his social life, and his religious life. And the other is a man the God-man who reaches out with compassion here, who crosses all sorts of boundaries to give this wretched man the comfort of a healing touch. Now, as I read this passage, who did you most identify with? If you had to read yourself into the story here and say, that person is most like me, who would it be? It's okay, you can be honest in your answer. Because I'm sure some of us would immediately gravitate towards Jesus, wanting to be like him and wanting to act like him as he reaches out and he touches the untouchable. 
And we ought to want to be like Jesus here. All right? We ought to want to be moved with compassion and to give ourselves for the sake of others. That's the way of Jesus that his disciples are called to walk. And besides that, we like being doers. So Jesus, show us what you want us to do. Show us how we can be representatives of your healing and of your mercy in the world. But the paradox of all of this here is that we need to recognize ourselves as the leper and know Jesus' compassionate willingness before we can act with that compassion. The way of Jesus, the ways of Jesus are beautiful and they're compelling. But before we're drawn to being like Jesus, we need to first be drawn to Jesus. Right? We can't give what we haven't already received. To properly give compassion and mercy, we need to first be receivers of that compassion and mercy. And that means that we need to see ourselves like the leper. And only after that, once we've seen his willingness and his compassion for us, which, praise God, never ends, and we continue to be drawn deeper into our understanding of that, then, we, then only at that point will we be better able to act with compassion. Otherwise, we'll inevitably come to others from a position that sees ourselves above them and coming down to them and less than from coming alongside them in humility. We offer the same Jesus who we've been given. The same Jesus who still today tells that, us that he is willing to touch us even though we, we may be feel or we may be or we feel like the untouchables. And so as we track through this here, we first just need to simply see the leper who reaches out to Jesus. We kind of see him before we look at the Jesus and who reaches out to us. Now, leprosy in the Bible wasn't necessarily the way that we always consider it today. There is some overlap, but when we think of leprosy, we think of what's known as modern-day Hansen's disease, where the skin become covers, becomes covered with lesions and it turns raw and the nerves become damaged and you start to lose feelings so that you can't tell when something is hot or cold when you pick it up. Or you grip something so tightly as to gnarl your fingers and your hands. Or you have no awareness of any open bodily wounds. So that the human body then turns into a festering, lesioning image of slow decay. And leprosy in the Bible wasn't only limited to this, but it included any sort of boil or lesion or skin disease which went deep and it spread across the body. And so even if this man wasn't afflicted with what we consider today as leprosy, his skin was still raw and oozing and smelling of festering flesh. Boy, you're really good that you came, you know, so glad you came here today and be able to draw these mental pictures. But think of it this way, though. It's like he's a walking corpse. It's like he's walking the walking dead. And just as a human corpse was continued to be, or was considered to be ritually unclean, which would then defile you if you came into contact with it, the same was true for this disease that would turn you into the sort of walking dead. Uh, Leviticus 13 and 14 lays out this extensive list of regulations that were related to skin diseases, determining if it was leprous or not, and if so, what was to be done about it. And it went a little bit like this. So imagine yourself here in a moment here. You wake up one morning and you find this red swollen itch 
underneath your arm. And so you go to the doctor, and the doctor takes a look and says, hmm, hmm, why don't you go quarantine yourself in your room for seven days? And you start to become a little alarmed. Your family knows what this means, and they start to get a little alarmed. So you lock yourself in your room for those seven days just immediately, like no final touch with your family members. You're having to have your meals brought in, slid under the door or cracked through the door. Uh, You can only talk to your family through the door there. No physical contact. And then those seven days are up and you go back to the doctor and the doctor takes another look and more spots have begun to appear and spread. And that initial place there where you had that itch is now oozing this yellow pus. The doctor looks very concerned, very grave and says, that's leprosy. And then after that, then, a bunch of people in hazmat suits come in. They whisk you out of the room. They take you into another room, strip you down, give you some rags to wear, and say, sorry, you're unclean. You've got to go live on the outskirts of the town. And that's it. You're all alone. And that's a little bit of a taste of what it was to be diagnosed and to have leprosy break out across your skin there. There was no cure, but you were unclean. And now you are living the remainder of the rest of your, your the remainder of the rest of your life cursed and alone, and it all happens so fast. Right, do you think this man realized that the last touch that he had from his wife, or the last hug that he had from his kids, would be the final one that he would receive? And as being an unclean man, then touching anyone would then also make them unclean. So wherever he went, he had to walk around with his hand in front of his mouth and yell, unclean, unclean, so that everyone could give them a wide berth and that they could maintain their distance so that they wouldn't touch him and they wouldn't become unclean also. See, the physical aspect of this disease was only part of the picture. The mental anguish that he would have felt added to the agony. And the Levitical law there said that it was the priest who would look you over to determine if you had just some skin infection and were clean, or if you were leprous and were unclean. But the law, though, didn't have any provision for how you could actually be healed of leprosy. If your skin was healed, then you'd go and show yourself to the priest and make, a, make a, an offering, and then you would be declared ritually clean once more and could re, re-enter society. But it only said if you were leprous or not, unclean or unclean. It didn't say, this is how you can be healed. There was no way that he could be healed by any law. He couldn't do anything. But he was instead resigned to living a life in absolute misery. He was alienated from his family and his friends, alienated from society. He couldn't enter the synagogue and worship, so he was alienated from the presence of God. The only thing that he had to look forward to was was dying a slow, lonely death, and that could take years and years, and there wasn't a single thing that he could do about it. Now, when I said earlier that we need to see ourselves as the leper, what did I mean? Not anything related to our skin. This is more than a a bad case of acne. It's not our skin which makes us unclean. It's our sin that makes us unclean. 
In Shakespeare's famous play, Macbeth, the title character, Macbeth, a lord in Scotland, and then his wife, Lady Macbeth, conspire to murder Duncan, the king of Scotland, so that Macbeth can then take the throne. And the murder itself takes place pretty early in the story, in one of the earlier acts. But the whole rest of the story is Macbeth and Lady Macbeth dealing with the after effects of what they've done. And as for Lady Macbeth, she is overcome with guilt. And in one of the final scenes, she's found sleepwalking and furiously scrubbing her hands. Except her hands aren't dirty. But as she looks at them in her trance, all she sees are spots and filth. Because the spots that she sees on her hands, or that she thinks are on her hands, are actually the spots and the marks that are on her soul, that are on her conscience. And it leads her to say those, final, those famous words, Ah, here's a spot. Here's the smell of the blood still. All the perfumes of Arabia will not sweeten this little hand. And she scrubs and she scrubs and she scrubs. And in a similar way, the leprous spots on the man's skin are a manifestation of the spiritual leprosy that's inside of him. That's what's made him unclean. But there's a key difference. Because for Lady Macbeth, the spots were there because of what she did. But it's not like this man did something to bring on his leprosy. It wasn't something that he ate. It wasn't something that he put on his skin. It wasn't something that came from years and years of a bad habit or of not taking care of himself. It was a manifestation of what was already inside of him. Of what laid beneath his skin. The fallen state of humanity that all of us share. The boils And the lesions which bubbled up and corrupted his flesh and rendered him unclean are a stark image of what's inside us all. Uncleanness uncleanness isn't from what we do. It's who we are on our own. And any consequent things that we do that come out of that that corrupt self are, are sinful uncleanliness. See, you don't make yourself corrupt or unclean because of what you've put into your body. You don't make yourself unclean or corrupt because of what you've done with your body. You don't make yourself unclean or corrupt because of any other decision that you've made. It's our spiritual condition. It's the sickness underneath it it all. And all of us have felt this unclean feeling at times in our lives. Some of us have felt it much more acutely in a moment where we feel so ashamed of ourselves. Some of us deal with this on a regular basis. And we feel the separation which this uncleanliness brings on, and we feel just like the leper. Sin alienates us. It doesn't only tear apart our relationship with God, it does the same with us and others. It's like an arsonist who sneaks into our relationships and sets fire to the bonds that we have with one another. And when those ties are burned, then we're left all alone and wondering what happened. As leprosy festers and stinks and progressively destroys us, so does sin. It destroys us and sometimes down a long road of degeneration. Habits and patterns formed or rooted in sin don't just crush us at once, but they take their slow toll. Or as whoever or whatever a leper touched became unclean, so often it seems like whatever we get close to, whatever we touch, becomes unclean. Unclean and corrupt just by our being around it. 
And it leaves us in despair because there's nothing that we can do. The answer for the leper wasn't in anything about the law. It wasn't following the law. And neither is there any law that we can make or put on ourselves to rid us of that uncleanliness. You can't just be told to get your act together or to do something better to try to cover up those those spots on our consciences. Because at best, it just simply distracts us so that we don't think about it for a little while. All this just shows us how desperate we really are. But then, only at that point will we come to Jesus the way that the leper did. See, Jesus doesn't approach the leper. The leper approaches Jesus. He does the unthinkable as he approaches Jesus. Everyone out of fear would have been scattering out of the way. Oh, there's a leper coming. But he knows that he must get to him. He knows that Jesus can make him him clean. And so what does he appeal to? He says, if you will, you can make me clean. He doesn't appeal to his power. He knows what Jesus can do. But he says, are you willing? Are you, are, you, are you going to help me? Are you going to make me whole? Jesus, will you do it, please? It's the same question that we might ask. It could be the first time that we've ever asked that. Will Jesus make me clean? But Christians ask this question, too. I know what he says. I know he gives hope. I know he forgives sin. I know he makes the unrighteous clean and he makes us whole. But is he willing to do the same for me? Do I believe it? Because I'm desperate and I have no other hope. We have this leper who reaches out to Jesus. But we also now, second, need to look at Jesus who reaches out to the leper. He says he's able and he's willing. As the leper approaches Jesus, everyone again scatters out of fear of coming into contact with him and contracting his unclean state. But Jesus doesn't. He just stands his ground and allows him to approach. Which isn't that like the most Jesus thing for him to do right there? To be calm and collected and approachable amid everyone else's fear of the stranger? I mean, doesn't that right there communicate something about his willingness? And it doesn't matter how you might feel about yourself. It might not matter how foul you think you are. Jesus doesn't hold you at arm's length. But he allows you to come to him. And nothing's either going to shock him either. He's seen all of it before. And he has a willingness. He says it. He says, I will be clean. But it's not just any willingness. It's a compassionate willingness. Verse 41, it says that moved with pity or moved with compassion... The literal idea there is he's moved in the bowels, moved in his intestines there, in the guts. You ever feel that gut-wrenching sort of compassion before? Not that, oh, that's so sad idea, and then you become quickly distracted. But that, 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 that time when you're so moved, when you're so moved by this overwhelming nature of someone's plight, and you become emotional, and you feel it all the way down into your gut, it almost makes you nauseous. It's usually in those times that we can't not help someone, and even in crazy ways. And Jesus looks at this man in his desperation with this sort of gut-wrenching, nauseating compassion. He sees him not as someone to be feared and someone to run away from. He doesn't see him just as unclean, but he looks at him and he says, that's a man. 
That's a man underneath that skin full of abrasions and lesions. That's a man who's created in the image of God. And that is a man who I am going to rescue and redeem. He's a man in anguish, who's lonely, who's pushed to the fringes of life. There's a real man there who's slowly being eaten away by leprosy. And he's a man who needs redemption. A man to set free from his physical condition. And a man who needs to be made clean all the way down to his soul. Jesus looks at him and he has a compassion. He has a compassion that acts. Not just a feeling of, oh, isn't that sad? But with this determination that I will make things right. And his compassion leads him then to cross all sorts of social bounds and religious boundaries. The leper approaches him and he goes out though and he reaches out to the leper and touches him in return. And he could have just said, be clean, and made him clean. But he touches him. When do you think the last time this leper had been touched was? We saw last week how Jesus responds to the needs of individuals in personal ways. Well, it's the same right here, isn't it? He knows what we need in those moments of despair. And it's that touch of Jesus that makes him clean. Now, according to the law... What what you would expect is for Jesus then to be made unclean because he had been touched by the unclean leper. That's what the law said. If anything touched a ritually unclean person or object, then that uncleanliness was transferred to the other. Which is why, which is one reason why it was so shocking that Jesus reaches out to touch the leper. He's touching something unclean. But see, the unclean state of this man doesn't defile Jesus. Instead, the transfer goes the other way. Jesus heals him of his leprosy, and his perfect holiness is transferred to obliterate his unclean state. And by making him clean of the leprosy, and by making him ritually clean, then this man is able to go and be with others again. He's able to go back to his family. He's able to re-enter society. He's admitted back into synagogue worship again. It's why Jesus sends him to go to the temple and present himself to the priest, as he says in verse 44. To be formally and publicly declared then by the law that he really is clean. Jesus takes care of all the corruption which separated this man from others and alienated him from coming into God's presence. He isn't afraid to come into contact with the unclean. He doesn't get squeamish when sinners or defiled people get near him. He reaches out with compassion. And his compassion is the compassion of God who still acts in the same ways today. He's approachable. And he invites you to come and to experience his touch. Is there anything that holds you back? He won't turn you away any more than he'd turn away the leper. He's not ashamed of you there. He's not ashamed of being seen with you. Hebrews 2, 16 and 17 says, He doesn't help angels in, this majestic, in their majestic beings, but he helps us. People made from dirt from the ground. And he became like us in every respect in order for you to come, to, or for, for him to come to our aid and for you to be able to approach him. There's no state of defilement that you could ever have that would bring him to recoil or to be anything less than gentle and compassionate in his touch. Instead, he does away with our defilements and our uncleanness, and he gives us his holiness. 
the defilement and the sin of this leper as he touched him would be taken upon himself, upon Jesus as he went to the cross. The same cross was done on behalf of people like you and me. As this man was a walking curse, that same curse of sin was laid upon Jesus as he died to remove his and our unclean states. And he became unclean in our place and unclean for us with our own defilements, with our own sin which made us unclean and alienated us from God's presence. And then Jesus was crushed to do away with them forever. See, he also makes us clean. By his touch, he not only takes our sin, but he gives us his holiness and his righteousness. He did it all willingly. He says, I will be clean. Even as he knew what it would someday take. And so we bear the holiness of Jesus if we're in him. And that means that like Jesus, nothing can make us unclean or defile us before God if we have his holiness The reality is that though we're holy in Christ, we still sin and we still do all sorts of things that looks like will to us in our eyes that we're going to lose that status. There are some failures that we have that are so massive that we are left shamed and alienated from others and we feel so defiled. Or we have patterns of sin, either old ones or new ones we pick up that make us feel dirty. And we ask, can I even come back to Jesus? Is he willing to let me approach him? But if you're in Jesus, and if you have his holiness, you can't make yourself unclean any more than the leper could make Jesus unclean. Because he doesn't look at you with anger. He looks at you with compassion because you're wearing the clean clothes of Jesus Christ that can never be made unclean. They can never be made dirty. They can never be spoiled. And his compassionate willingness says he always loves it, and he always welcomes you when you approach him. So with that in mind, as we think about Jesus in this way, and us then, that we become people who know his compassion. Back again to the statement that I made earlier at the, at the beginning. We need to recognize ourselves as the leper and know Jesus' compassionate willingness before we can act with the compassion of Jesus. Because we can only receive his compassion and only know it deeper before we act it out to others. We can't give what we haven't first received. And so where does compassion come from? Compassion comes from the heart. We feel compassion. We feel on the inside. We feel it in our guts, in our bowels. And it gives root to actions of compassion. If you don't have compassion on the inside, you can't act compassionately. And so how does compassion arise? Well, how is the heart changed? One is by knowing it personally yourself. When we understand our natural states and what Jesus has done to show us his compassion for us when we were desperate, then we get, we know his compassion a little bit more. And coming back over and over in repentance and knowing just how desperate we are isn't just a spiritual exercise. It's how we comprehend the depths of his compassionate willingness. But second, it comes by having our hearts changed. And that only happens by Jesus working in us through his spirit. Again, it doesn't come from us. It comes from his grace. To grow in compassion, look prayerfully at Jesus' compassion. 
Now, we as, as CVP here, we want to reflect the compassion of Jesus among this body and in this community. I know it's been historically a part of the DNA of this church, and I know it shapes a category of living for some of you here. In fact, that's something that I found attractive when I was in my early uh, talks with the search committee before coming here. And that's going to be something that we're going to continue to commit ourselves to. It's not easy to show compassion like this. But then again, neither is following Jesus, is it? So as we follow him in his compassion, not only in what we feel, but in how we act, what do we see? What implications does this compassion that we've seen here of Jesus have on us as we show compassion towards others then? Well, first, it crosses or it transgresses social bounds. It transgresses social bounds. Jesus did that by coming into contact with the leper. To the shock of many, he went against the social and the ritual boundaries of the day. So we ask ourselves this who are the modern day lepers of our society? Who are those who we consider to be unclean to a nearly untouchable degree? That might be a personal question for some of us. Are they abortion providers? Are they addicts? Are they people who have lived in my, and been mired in generational poverty and find themselves living in their car? How about white supremacists? I can recall one time years back of standing in line at the ATM, and there standing right in front of me as I was in line was a man with a shaved head, neo-Nazi tattoos up and down his arms, and wearing a, a white Aryan Brotherhood t-shirt. Right. I can't recall, that to that point, feeling an anger or a disdain, and I would even say in that time a hatred, at someone that strongly before. I mean, it was to the degree that I almost felt unclean just standing in line behind them at the ATM. But Jesus came, though, to make clean the unclean to allow all sorts of unclean people to approach him, even someone like that. And to my shame, I'm not sure that I would have been entirely comfortable had he turned to me asking if he could be made clean in Christ. And let alone reaching out to touch a man like that who I consider to be so abhorrently unclean. If we're going to show Jesus compassion, we don't get a pick. We don't get to choose who it is. We need God's spirit to change our hearts and to give us a willingness to fraternize with those who our social circles say are the most unclean. Second, though, that we see here is it doesn't concern itself with ritual purity. A fear that many of us have is that we'll in turn be made unclean by whoever we come in contact with. Like we'll lose our ritual purity or something from from the Old Testament law. Their sin is going to rub off on us. But what are we afraid of? If we have the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus, then there's nothing that can defile us, is there? And if we really care about them, care about them enough to see the image of God that's still stamped upon them, then how can we also not want them to be made clean and to be brought into God's fellowship by the holiness of Jesus? Third implication. Sometimes it requires a personal touch. Compassion means meeting people's needs in their own individual ways. 
There's no one default. There's no one blanket method of helping everyone. It requires listening. It requires addressing them in personalized ways. And it might also require giving some physical touch sometime. Don't underestimate the power of a handshake. Don't underestimate the power of a gentle hand on the shoulder or a hug. But don't forget, though, also that it means a proactive touch as well. If we're serious about showing compassion, then it means making contact with those who are around us and looking out for those to reach. Fourth is it always brings the restoration of Jesus. And Jesus restores us body and soul. He simultaneously healed the man and made him clean. Our redemption that we eagerly await for isn't just our souls. It's also for resurrection in a renewed world. And not just here, but over and over in the Bible, Jesus deals with others as whole people. He heals them and he helps them in their physical condition. But he doesn't just leave it at that. He also announces the forgiveness of sins and the righteousness of God by faith to them. So you can't just have the empty tomb of Jesus' resurrection and the hope that that has without also then giving the cross of the atonement as well, which put him in the tomb in the first place. We need to remember that as we reach out, as Jesus still does today, we are called to reach out in ways that demonstrate his holistic touch. And then he's shifting gears for a moment. Lastly here, it sometimes moves in quiet ways. I want to go back to the text for a moment here in verse 43. Jesus tells this man to go quietly and not tell anyone. That's a really strange thing that he would say. But the reasoning is that he doesn't want others to make him out to be someone who he isn't. All right? They want to be front row witnesses to healings and miracles. They want to see all this power and glory and, 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 and grand uh, all sorts of, of things that are happening. Right? He wants, they want to see the outward power and the glory. But Jesus isn't all about that. He wants to preach also. He wants to bring this wholeness to them. But they want to settle for less. And you see the results. Verse 45, the former leper doesn't do what he's told. And now Jesus can't go into any of the towns. It actually impedes his ministry. And so we take from this here, Jesus wants to be taken as he is. Not as others want him to be. And that includes his followers too. Sometimes we want our outreach and our, our, our mercy ministries to be massive. We want them to be known all across the community and praise God for those visions. But sometimes, though, obedience is also ceding to God's work of quiet simplicity. If that's what he has for us in a, in a particular moment, are we okay with that? See, the size or the relative quietness doesn't negate the earth-shattering reality of the gospel as the seeds go forth and as they take root. After all, fruit comes from trees of all different sizes, doesn't it? It's okay to have large ministries, large outreaches, but it's also okay when Jesus says, right now, you have a quiet, small one. I'm still going to bear fruit through it. And so throughout all this, though, no matter what, don't lose sight of Jesus' compassion that he has for defiled people like me, defiled people like you. And praise Jesus that he is so compassionate and so willing to allow us to approach him in our states that he reaches out to us and he makes us clean. And so let's remember his compassion for us. And let's be moved by his spirit as we engage and we reach out to the community 
that's around us. Let's pray. Lord God, we confess that we are unclean people. We may not like that truth. It might be shocking to us, but there's freedom when we see that. Because at that point, all, we can just simply come and flee before you. And we can, light, we can get down on our knees before you and ask again and plead for your mercy. Plead that you would make us clean. But Lord God, are you willing? We thank you that Jesus is willing. And that as he touched the leper, surely he also touches us and makes us clean. That he heals us from all which defiles us so that we might be brought into your family. The touch of Jesus is so beautiful. And would that become more and more believable to us as we leave here? Would you impress that upon us more and more? And God, please make us clean in Jesus. We need that. It's our only hope. And particularly, help us keep that in mind as you send us out as your people who are then following after our Savior Jesus. Would you be working in us to, and, and allow us to see? Maybe It might even just be simply to see those who are, who are around us. Maybe those whom we've o- had oversight before or we've, we've overlooked before or we've not recognized. Those who are in need. Maybe even on our own blocks. Maybe even in our own workplaces. Maybe even those who we walk down the street day after day after day and don't pay any attention to. Lord God, make us people who are moved deeply down in our guts by compassion and who are willing to extend the compassion of Jesus, crucified and risen and ascended for us. We thank you for that. And prepare us as we come to the table where we prepare to come and receive this Jesus again. Amen.